<clears throat> nobody. 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 Nobody rage short stories. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Nobody Reads Short Stories. My name is Megan, and tonight's episode is Eleanor's Engagement by Robert Kibble. Eleanor's Engagement by Robert Kibble. Some of us get long and pleasing lives. Some of us get short, crazy ones. I think my circumstances can be at the very least described as unconventional. A Mr. Menon bought me, immediately Gary, to the over-friendly shop assistant, and I knew right then that this was going to be different. Most of us get bought by couples coming in and drooling over us. You can see which ones will make it right from the off. There are the doting ones, all lovey-dovey, who swan in looking for, oh my God, that is so perfect. Well, you know the moment something happens, they'll be apart. There are the rush-rush ones, although you don't get so many nowadays, where let's just say there'll be a statistically abnormal chance of a premature first baby. There are the matter-of-fact ones who come in and want, well, anything. And I tend to think, they've got the best chance. They're doing it for each other, not for the ring, not for one of us. Now, I'm quite special, and I waited a long time to be picked up. I've got a flat profile. You see, unlike a lot of my ostentatious brethren, I'm the practical but oh-so-expensive model that could go either way in terms of its target market, and I'd been sat there for years watching my kin leave the shop sometimes on fingers, sometimes in boxes, sometimes to shrieks of excitement. On that March morning, it was my turn. Gary was nervous walking around the shop, but that's not unusual. It's not like men get practice in buying engagement rings, is it? Something in the way he walked back and forth, back and forth, made me understand it wasn't merely the ways of buying rings he was ignorant about. There was more, and as I struggled to sparkle, struggled to ensure the facets in my diamond drew him in, I had a feeling this was it. He would take me to the one. I would finally take my place as a symbol of enduring love. How wrong I was. He bought me after 15 minutes of pacing, and I left the shop in a little purple box. I worried a little that I might be involved in one of those stories I'd heard of from a returner, where it would be a surprise in a crowded restaurant in front of a crowd and in a sports stadium or something like that. God, one ring was inconsolable when he came back. He'd been so into the whole romance thing that when the woman said no to the idiot surprising her over the public address at the local rugby club, he completely lost it and one of his emeralds fell out. Returner he might have been, but he was never going to be a resale, not in his state. Lucky he didn't end up in cash for gold. So there I was, sitting in pride of place in Gary's car, and he begins telling me as if he knows I'm listening. I love her, 
I do. I love her. I can't live without her. If I wait, it'll be too late. She'll leave. We'll all go our separate ways and no, this is it. I'll tell her. I'll make it clear. This isn't just friends with benefits. This is real. I can't smile, of course, but I can think and my mind began racing. Would I become a returner? He was clearly going to surprise her, whoever her was, but they'd obviously been together to some extent for a while. So interesting times, as they say. We reached home and I was placed in the center of the dining table as Gary went off to make himself a drink. I sat there wondering if tonight was to be the night or was there going to be a delay? I was an expensive delay, that's for sure. But how else can a month's salary last a lifetime? Although I wasn't certain from his clothes that Gary was the kind who yet had a salary. He'd afforded me though, without thinking too hard about it. Next to join the story was Pierce. He sat down and stared at me. Didn't open the box, didn't move me, but he stared. Impolite, if you ask me, but of course no one does. And then Gary appeared and Pierce asked, oh, what's this then? Gary sat down, drink in hand. I've decided I'm going to ask her. You bought a ring before asking her, Pierce asked. I want it to be romantic. I want it to be right. I'm going to take her to dinner tomorrow and please don't tell me you're going to propose in a restaurant, Pierce said. This Pierce had some sense at least. The restaurant thing is a terrible idea. Actually, not because people say no immediately, but because they say yes out of pressure. That doesn't lead to returners, but to pawners down the line, or used to. I don't know how people get rid of unwanted engagement rings nowadays, and I didn't want to find out. No, replied Carrie. I'm going to take her out for a meal, then bring her back here, and then I'm going to ask her. Pierce didn't exactly sound pleased. You managed all that planning without writing an app to analyze it? This feels right, Pierce. Hey, uh, could you be out tomorrow night? Pierce thought for what immediately, to me anyway, or maybe I'm an odd judge of character, seemed too long. Of course, friend of mine, good luck. And that I knew instantly is what no one says to an actual friend ever. Gary didn't notice. Oh God, I'm so nervous. Why am I? We've been kind of seeing each other for nearly two years now. Kind of, parroted Pierce. She still makes me go giddy when she walks in. You saw her the other week when she came over, jeans, t-shirt, and that new leather jacket, and somehow looked even more drop dead. I could see Pierce did remember and had seen and I could see Gary was not alone in appreciating the beauty of this woman, whoever she was. I wanted a name for my prospective home and it wasn't long coming. Eleanor Menon. Doesn't sound too shabby, said Gary. Don't count your chickens, Gary. Tomorrow's a big day. Don't go assuming. You, you might put her off if you take her for granted. No, you're right. You're a good friend, Pierce. I need some sleep. Keep your fingers crossed for me. Of course, said Pierce. Gary left the room and Pierce kept staring. 
I heard the toilet flush upstairs and a door closing and Pierce leaned forward and opened my box. His face scared me with its deep frown. He turned me around, staring at me, looking right through me. So what's your game? He asked and a shudder ran through me as I wondered if he knew how much I'd been listening. Do you think Eleanor would want to spend the rest of her life with a two-bit geek app programmer like you? Oh, I felt relieved and instantly intrigued. I've waited long enough for you two to realize you aren't right for each other. And if she puts this ring on, then that's it. One way or another, that's it. He stared into my facets and I could see something snap in his eyes. He put me back into the box, closed it and put me in his pocket. I heard a door open and close and then a car door do the same. And then for an age, nothing more. Breathing, heavy, disturbed breathing. The car door opened a fraction. Was Pierce reconsidering? What was he planning? There was no way Gary wouldn't notice me being gone and there'd been no one else in this house to blame. Minutes passed, then maybe hours. It's hard to keep track of time inside a box in someone's pocket. I'd always had the carriage clocks around me to keep time, noisy buggers, at least in groups. The car door shut again, quieter, and this time the engine fired up. We drove off. I felt us speeding up and slowing down and occasionally jarring turns. It felt an odd way of driving, but it eventually stopped. Pierce stayed in the driver's seat. Ah! Oh, he shouted, slamming the steering wheel with his hands. I'm not going to let you do this. I should have told you years ago. I should have told him years ago. I should have told myself years ago. Now though, now is the time she can choose. He sped up and this time the driving felt purposeful as if we were going somewhere specific rather than simply driving. He stopped to get petrol and then drove off again. Right, now or never, he said and got out of the car. Pierce walked up the drive and rang a doorbell. I could see it was getting light out, so he must have been in the car all night. The door opened and a woman's voice said, Pierce, what the hell are you doing here? It's five in the morning. Is Ellie in? He asked. Fast asleep, but I presume so. Do you want me to wake her? Yes, he said, it's important. The woman sighed and walked back into the house. A few minutes later, a different voice, Pierce? Joe said you had something important. Let's do a road trip. Now? Now, Seaside, Brighton, today. Don't you have work? I'll call in sick on the way. Come on, get dressed. I've got tutorials. You can call in sick too. Come on, we've got to. Why? I'll tell you when we get there. Trust me. Footsteps, minutes passed. Okay, but if I lose my marks because of you, Eleanor got into the car and I heard Pierce muttering as he went around to the driver's side. Yeah, we can't all be our own boss and work whenever we feel like it, Gary. Another long drive and this time punctuated by stopping to make two phone calls. Yeah, I'm sorry, It's it's been doing the rounds. <clears throat> Finally succumbed, I guess, said Pierce. Eleanor went with, Hey, Prof, um, look, I, I wanted to give my presentation, but um, I could explain, but I suspect you don't want to know female problems if you get my drift. Thanks. 
So what's the motivation for this impromptu road trip? Eleanor asked. I said, I'll tell you in Brighton. Why Brighton? I want to see the sea, uh, something calming about it and, and be a long way from here. A phone rang. Want me to check who it is? Asked Eleanor. Probably Gary checking up on me. Want me to answer? No, Pierce was abrupt with that. Only asking, said Eleanor. Sorry. A few minutes later, another phone rang, the ringtone being the Toreador song from Carmen. Our shop used to play opera. I think they thought it added to the class of the place, but it always played really quietly, so you couldn't really enjoy it. Now he's calling me, said Eleanor. Please, Eleanor, for once, don't answer. Trust me, this once, please. I will explain once we get there. Why, please? This had better be good. My battery's dying quickly today, and I'm sure I turned off the GPS. Can't get used to this phone. I should get Gary to check the battery usage stuff again. He's great with tech. Can I stick it on charge? Be my guest. Anyway, thanks for trusting me. I'm a little on edge today. You'll understand later, I hope. And with that, conversation died. The drone of the car bored me, especially stuck in the box in a pocket. It would have been okay if he'd at least left me up on the dash so I could see where we were. Still, I'd waited years to get out of the shop, so it was just me being impatient. Finally, we stopped. Doors opened and closed, and I felt Pierce's hand reach around me. Footsteps, quiet at first, and then as if on gravel. And finally, I was in his hand, out of the pocket. The sun shone warm in the morning air. The sea crashed against the rocky beach with the light breeze coming in. And I finally saw Eleanor, long red hair blowing out behind her, pale skin, tall and thin with Doc Martin boots clashing strangely with a light floral summer dress. She twirled on the beach as she enjoyed the wind. Right then, Mr. Mystery, she said. Now I think you owe me an explanation for why you've kidnapped me. I'll bet a rather delightful kidnap on a rather delightful morning. I love you. What? Pierce had revealed his hand, obviously. The simple, straight truth and the look on Eleanor's face suggested she had not seen that coming. I love you, Ellie. I always have. From the moment you appeared at Film Sock, through when I was tutoring you, although that would have been inappropriate, I knew. When we went back to your room, I wanted to kiss you so much or tell you or anything, but I didn't, not then. I needed to wait until I wasn't your tutor, until you were single, but that time kept moving away and I can't let, let what? Oh, look, he said and held me out to her. I want to marry you. I can't let anything, anyone, Anything stop me from at least telling you how I feel. Once and for all, I want to marry you. I adore you. Eleanor leaned forward and picked me up. Oh, I felt that soft skin, but I felt something else. I felt trouble, the like of which none of the others would understand. Eleanor opened her mouth to speak, but was interrupted by her phone going off again. Oh, it's Gary. Please, Ellie, not now. Please look at me. She did, 
and the two grew closer. Eleanor tentatively put me on the end of her finger. She stared down at me with green eyes intent. There was no sign of misunderstanding on her face. There was temptation, hope. She leaned in to Pierce and turned her head. As she kissed him, I slid gently onto her finger, past the two knuckles. It felt so good to be resting in the traditional place, my diamond glinting with delight. Traditional place, I thought, but far from the traditional delivery. Pierce looked down and saw me, pride of place, a perfect fit. He smiled, but there was something in his eyes. Maybe he was realizing he'd just written a giant check with some other man's checkbook. He shook his head and looked back into Eleanor's eyes. You will? She laughed. You don't think I fancied you from back then too? I spent two years thinking you must be gay the way you didn't return my attempts. When I took you back to my room, do you not think that ending up in a wrestling match with a young woman is anything of a sign? I wanted to kiss you and I wanted you to kiss me. God, I wanted that. I thought there had to be something wrong with me, the way you kept suddenly disappearing or you had someone else or something, I don't know. Are you honestly telling me you didn't notice? I had to leave, at least that wrestling time. I was wearing light colored trousers and well, you know, I was getting a little, ill. Let's not ruin the moment, Pierce. Drag me all the way here and put a ring on my finger. The least you can do now is give a girl a decent snog. And with that, the two were connected again. They continued in this vein, walking for a minute, stopping to kiss, walking again, until they reached a staircase back up to the promenade where they sat and, well, by now I have to admit, I was thinking enough was enough. For two hours, they must have kept this up. And for a while during that time, I thought things were going to be normal. They started reminiscing about times they'd been together and why neither of them had simply come out and said what they felt. And each time they laughed and kissed and continued, at least until the word was mentioned. Gary, my purchaser, he who held my receipt. Are you going to tell him? asked Pierce. Eleanor's face changed. He has to know it's only fair we've kind of been going out. Kind of, repeated Pierce. Don't be mean. He's almost as good a snogger as you are, you know, almost. Meanie. Is that what he was calling about? Does he know? Pierce looked at his phone as if it would tell him. Hey, my GPS is on too. Get Gary to look at it, Eleanor said. I don't think he will after this. Hang, hang on. What? There's a there's an app here I don't remember installing. Phone safe? It's got GPS permission. Oh, I think Gary said something about that. So you can lock your phone out if someone steals it. I think it's included as standard in the new ones, but this was one of his earlier successes. You've got this too, asked Pierce. Eleanor stared at his, her phone. You wanna check? Pierce scrolled down on her phone. It's running, taking CPU, which means, oh, the utter bastard. What? Can you turn it off? The app? No, your phone, just turn it off, the whole phone. 
but I need to talk to Gary. It's, it's not fair not to. Tonight, when we go back, uh, quick, can we get away from here? Maybe go to the lanes? Okay, I suppose. I'm always happy to window shop, uh, looking for anything particular. They crossed a road and began down a narrow passage, passing a jeweler. How about here? It's a bit early to be buying wedding rings, isn't it? Eleanor's asked. No need to rush. No, maybe there's a ring that suits you better. Eleanor turned Pierce around and kissed him lightly. Are you getting cold feet? No, no, that's, it's not that. Well, what? Pierce, the ring is perfect. Ah, a woman after my own heart. But she was right. I am perfect. You always have good taste. The ring is perfect. The day is perfect. Life is perfect, Eleanor said, and twirled around again before flopping her arms on Pierce's shoulders and kissing him. People are staring, he said. Let them stare. We're getting married, she shouted. The sound echoed down the narrow street, crowded with shoppers bumping into each other as they tried to get in or out of the many jewelers, antique shops, memorabilia places. Oh, are you? came a voice from behind Pierce. I recognized the voice. Pierce turned slowly. Getting married, are you? Gary stood panting, his face red. He'd been running. He had his phone in his hand. How did you find us? asked Eleanor. Gary slipped his phone into his jacket. Is that what you meant? asked Eleanor to Pierce. He installed something on our phones? Pierce ignored her question. Oh, look, Gary, he began. No, Pierce. No, no looking. Apart from at that beautiful ring on Eleanor's finger, of course. Maybe we should take a look at that. Without thinking, Eleanor lifted me up, proud bride-to-be, doing what millions of women had done before her, wanting to show off her new status. What a lovely ring, said Gary, sneering. I know, isn't it? What exquisite taste someone would have to have to choose it. Oh, absolutely. What an amazing man to know how it would fit and look. Amazing. Gary, please, said Pierce. Oh, Pierce, I'm sorry. Would it spoil your beautiful day so much if Eleanor knew that you didn't buy that ring? Eleanor didn't understand. Of course she didn't. Who would? What? she asked. Please, Gary, Pierce said. I doubt he would even know which shop it was from or even which city. I don't understand. Pierce, what's going on? Gary pressed on. Pierce wouldn't know that because Pierce didn't buy that ring. I bought that ring. I bought that ring because I... Eleanor put her hand down as if removing me from the scene would make the situation normal again. No, Gary, you weren't going to... Gary nodded. Or was that so stupid? Was it so stupid of me to think that asking the woman you're actually going out with to marry you with the ring you bought is something people actually do? As opposed to stealing both the ring and the girlfriend from your own so-called friend? 
I'm not an object, Gary. I'm not something you can steal. How would you describe it then? How would you describe him driving off with you to propose when that's exactly what I was going to do, what I told him I was going to do? Well, that's sweet, Gary, but I... Sweet? Sweet? Don't patronize me. He proposed to you with my bloody ring, with the ring I bought. What kind of asshole does that? Eleanor didn't have an answer. I had to admit it was a valid point. Pierce backed off almost inside a shop with a large display of wood carvings. Shoppers nearby had stopped watching the show, giving us all a little space, a little stage on which to perform our drama. Did you steal this ring, Pierce? Pierce nodded. Oh, look, Ellie, I, I heard Gary talking about proposing and I couldn't stand the idea of him marrying you without me telling you how I felt. Everything I said was true, every word. Oh, said Gary, that's all right then. So long as you stole that ring for all the right reasons, I guess we'll just leave it there then. We'll say no real harm done and go home, will we? For a second, Pierce took it seriously and was about to relax when Gary began shouting. No, it's not no harm done. You're an utter asshole, Pierce. You always were thinking that because you've got money, because you've got rich parents and can afford to buy a house and buy rounds that everyone will sit at your feet worshiping like peasants living off your largesse. Not like some of us who actually have to work for a living. Carrie, I'm sorry, I, I really am. I, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't tell Ellie how I felt. And she feels the same. Oh, that last line hit. Gary looked broken. He fell into a shop doorpost. He turned to Eleanor, his eyes wide, begging her to contradict what had been said. All this time, I was nothing to you? The stage grew quiet as our audience awaited the response. We had fun, Gary, but we never... Gary lifted himself up to his full height. Well, you could have bloody told me what we were never. You could have made that clear. Or maybe that's what you're like. Maybe that's the same kind of woman who could have been in love with someone for years without ever uttering a word of it until one day she decides to get married to him with a stolen sodding ring without ever having even gone out with him before. Maybe that's the kind of woman you are. Pierce moved to put himself between Gary and Eleanor. Gary looked down at a horse carving by his right hand. His fingers moved around the horse's neck. Eleanor stepped back. Get out of the way, Pierce. I'm talking to my girlfriend. She was never... The right hand lifted up and swung round. Pierce hadn't noticed, so did nothing to defend himself. He was half turning to check on Eleanor, and the lump of carved wood smashed unprevented into the side of his skull. Pierce dropped to the ground. I'm talking to my girlfriend, said Gary, dropping the blood-covered statue by his side as he looked at Eleanor. She looked at Pierce, then at Gary, but didn't move. She didn't even blink. The shoppers around backed off, an eerie silence falling on the whole lane as murmuring spread the news, followed by shock. 
One man ran forward to look at Pierce lying on the ground. The shopkeeper picked up his statue and put it behind him out of Gary's reach. I was talking to my girlfriend, said Gary again, staring into Eleanor's green eyes quietly. I was going to ask her to marry me, like I told you last night, like we said when you promised to be out of the house so I could get time with her alone. So everything was going to be perfect. Everything was going to be perfect. The most beautiful girl in the world smiling at me as she saw the ring I bought for her, the perfect ring for the perfect girl. Eleanor opened her mouth, but no words came out. Gary sank to his knees. Call an ambulance, shouted the bystander, and as if by magic, sound returned. Several people began speaking on their phones. One woman began crying. Eleanor lifted her hand and ran her fingers round me along my smooth flush diamond around the band of metal. She tried to pull me off her finger, but maybe in the heat her finger was swollen so she couldn't. She pulled and pulled, but I remained firmly in place. She screamed. An ambulance arrived at the end of the lane, followed shortly by two policemen. One led Gary away to a nearby car while the other gave instructions to the shopkeeper and then came over towards Eleanor. Eleanor raised her eyes to the man before her. Please, she said, can you get this ring off of me? He didn't. Instead, he led her away too, to a second police car. Eleanor told her side of the story and kept turning me round and round on her finger as she went through the details. When a policeman came in to inform her that Pierce hadn't made it, she didn't cry. Instead, she stared into my diamond, the repository of such joy only a few hours before, and maybe somewhere deep inside, I still contained reflections of that tiny moment of true happiness. That's what we do after all, remind people. We can get some soapy water if you want to remove it now, miss. Eleanor stared into my facets and shook her head. And despite her remaining single since, that's where I've stayed. As I said, unconventional. The end. All right. Before you bring Robert on, I want to read you his bio. Um, so Robert lives west of London with a wife, a teenage son, and a cornucopia of half-finished writing projects. A few have been published over the years, which it has to be admitted is a very pleasing. If only a less creative job wouldn't keep him from getting in the way, he's sure it would be more. His publications include Writers Forum Magazine, Transmundane Press, Three Drops Poetry, Exeter Writers, Flash Fiction Anthology, among many others, and his book, The Girl in the Wave, is available for purchase on Amazon. And you can find more of his writings at his website, philosophicalleopard.com. All right, so let's bring Robert on. Hello. Hi, Robert, welcome. Thanks for the reading. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, so Robert is um, coming to us right now from London. So we're very excited to have this uh, this transatlantic interview happening right now. 
So thank you for, for making the time. Uh, so we just wanted to start by telling us um, what was the inspiration for this story? Well, it came out of, uh, I, I go to a local writers group called Slough Writers um, that's been going for 50 plus years. And we have competitions uh, which sort of prompt people to write things. And one of the competitions a few years ago was write a story from the point of view of a, an inanimate object. Um, and actually two people chose rings to write it uh, from. And yeah, it was quite an interesting idea of sort of right from the point of view of a bin of what's put in the bin or right from the point of view. And, and an engagement ring struck me as one of those moments that's quite stressful in people's lives. And the judge mentioned that she was very keen on the retelling of uh, Greek myths in the modern world. And you may have mentioned, you may have noticed uh, Gary Menon is playing the part of Agamemnon, and you've got Paris and you've got Helen being Eleanor. So you have the classic love triangle involving, and of course, at the end, the wooden horse finishing it all. So uh, that's sort of where it came from of trying to squeeze a Greek myth in told from the point of view of something inanimate. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I, yeah, I, I love the the myth, the myth elements, the mythological elements within the story. I think they work really well. And um, I love how I love stories that um, that are told from untraditional viewpoints. And I feel like the ring is another character that's very distinct, but also like our eyes, like I love the idea of this inanimate object being our eyes into this, the story of this love triangle. It sort of gives us a different sort of perspective instead of just feeling the feelings of these characters, which, which you very eloquently do. I feel like we, we get that um, very clearly with these, with these characters, but I do like that, that other perspective. It just, it adds a, another layer to this story that I think is very engaging. It's a very helpless character as well, because of course the ring itself has no agency in being able to do anything at all other than shimmering really nicely. Right. <laughs> right, right. But but it's it's sort of a like even though the ring is is embroiled in this this tragedy, you know, of this of this love triangle, it, it sort of gets what it wants in the end though, right? Because it yeah. gets its forever home. I, I quite like the image of this girl who basically decides to remain single now because she's been kind of put off the whole thing from this experience. Yeah. Well, I can't say I don't blame her. <laughs> no, you don't want that. <laughs> that would, yeah, that would definitely put put you off. And And the ring does mention that their whole point is to remind people, which I assume in the traditional sense is that, you know, you you the ring is a symbol of commitment to to your respective partner and so when you look down at the ring you're like reminded of that person whereas in Eleanor's case she's going to look down at that ring and be reminded of this trauma and this tragedy that she experienced so i i kind of like that that juxtaposition of um taking something that's supposed to be sort of happy and and comforting and it's like Eleanor has decided that I, I, I will never forget this and I, I need a reminder for it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so do you think, um, 
So if we were to talk to the ring now, like, do you think the ring would be happy with their situation or do you think they would be upset? I, I think because I get the impression Eleanor is off to do things to distract herself from it. So she's, she's going to find interesting things to do with her life. Mm -hmm. oh, At least yeah. I'd hope so. So uh, uh, they'll, they'll have adventures together. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Eleanor in the ring having adventures together. <laughs> have you written any other short stories that were toned, were, that were uh, told from this sort of perspective? No, I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to think of, of how um, they've mostly been told uh, from one of the characters in there. Um, although it was one of the exercises we did um, at the writers group again was uh, try imagining retelling a story that you've already heard or you already know from the point of view of one of the other characters in there, um, mm. which is an interesting exercise to do to see if it will then come out better because quite often the person who's most active in the story isn't actually the one you want telling it. Right, right. Yes, that's a that's a very good that's a very good point. And so many times I feel like, um, you know, we like we talk in, in my own writers groups about how like the main character is sometimes the least interesting one and the the wacky sort of assortment of characters that you have going on around them are are kind of the more the more interesting ones. So um, like especially if you take a a group of characters from a TV show or a film, I think this happens a little bit more often where you're like, oh, you know, that those wacky characters at the bar are a little more interesting than this main character that I'm that I'm following around. So I that I might have to try that. I like that that idea of, of that exercise. Yeah. Um, was there a particular part of this story that was difficult that you sort of that stumped you a little bit or that you struggled with? Um, I tend to think about stories for quite a while and write notes on big sheets of paper with lots of words and lines in between. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally get to writing them, they tend to be quite quick. Mm -hmm. um, I did at one point think, how is the ring able to see in the box, but not in the pocket? And then I thought, just go with it. Uh, <laughs> just don't ask that question. Hopefully no one will notice. It doesn't matter. That's just how it works. Um, but yeah, yeah. That, that was it really. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I actually had that question myself, but then I was like, well, but this is a ring whose thoughts I can hear. So it wasn't much of a stretch for me to think that it had these, you know, abilities yeah. to like. Yeah, somehow kind of linked with a box. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things, if you're tentative about things in a story, then people spot it. Um, if mm. you're going to have something weird, you have to just commit to it. Otherwise, mm. people will see, well, he doesn't believe this either. So I'm not going to. Yes, I, I love that. I love you have to own it, right? Like if you know there's if you know if there's an inconsistency or if there's something that's a little odd, you just you just run with it. Um, I think that's that's so important. And also, I I think when you're working with with a situation like this where you have an untraditional narrator, um, you know, you establish some rules, but you don't always, those rules always don't have to make sense to a certain degree. Like, 
like you're established, these are the rules, this is what's happening. And so if you're confident in the execution of that, then your audience will go along with you. But to your point, if you're, if you're talking too much about it or explaining it too much, that does give off a sense of, yeah. of you're, you're maybe not as confident with your choices as you should be. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's great. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else you would like to to say about about the story, Robert? Uh, I don't think so. Um, it was quite fun to write. Um, apart from the fact that I realized partway through that I had played the part of both of those characters in my time. I mean, not actually getting to the asking uh, someone to marry me stage. Uh -huh. but I had both uh, driven late at night to go and tell somebody how I felt about them and also been on the receiving end of a similar thing. So, oh my goodness, wow. So, yes, uh, it brought up some weird memories of, I was young once and uh, did stupid things. <laughs> well, do you feel like following that impulse to drive late through the night to tell someone how you feel? Is, I'd fall asleep is... now. <laughs> Well, no, but at the time, though, do you regret doing that? No, um, because I think at the time I'd got besotted with a uh, girl and uh, drove and told her, you know, if you're going to get together with him, I should at least tell you how I feel first. And it turned out she ended up with neither of us in the end, uh, but we didn't kill each other. <laughs> well... <laughs> I'm very pleased to hear that. <laughs> Glad it worked out a little bit better at the end than it did for uh, for Pierce. Um, now the now a follow up question to that though is: Did you steal the other person's ring? No, I didn't. Did? No. I didn't do that. Although um, the particular person in question did actually make that um, that what what happened it was a saying that went around university and a couple of years later i overheard someone saying oh and robert really pissed me off and i was thinking hang on who's who's the robert in this in this scenario and he said oh that's just something we say around here because the other guy had spent the whole term saying how much i pissed him off <gasps> um that it was a saying that stuck even after he left Oh my goodness, as like a, a catch-all for being yeah, annoyed. Kind of a, I'd, I'd reached <laughs> legendary status of pissing people off. Oh my goodness. So how did that make you feel? Were you annoyed by that? Or were you kind no, of like, oh, I made an impression? I, I didn't quite realize how much he was because you know, it hadn't been that serious, I thought, between the two of them. But anyway. Yeah, well, but to your, but to your point, though, I feel like in matters of the heart, no matter how serious things may or may not have been, like it feels very serious in the moment enough to, yeah. you know, send you driving through the middle of the night to profess your love to someone. And even though if you look back and say, oh, it wasn't that serious. And, but I do kind of love the idea of, of this transgression leaving such an such an impression on someone that you know you you, you become this legend of annoyance and frustration legend of annoyance <laughs> oh. 
Yes, I'm, I'm glad I'm beyond that now. Yes, yes, that's a, that's a past you can leave behind. <laughs> oh, well, Robert, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for, um, for sharing this story. It was, it was uh, really a, a joy to read and um, I, I feel like the characters are so fleshed out and I feel all of that, like I feel like even in the um, the moment where Pierce is professing his love to Eleanor, I feel like there's so much sincerity and authenticity in that. Like that's a moment that I think comes off as can can come off as being sort of trite and and overplayed. But the way every time I read it, I feel like there's such sincerity in it, and I think that's just a, a testament to to you infusing it with your own feelings and also just your your ability as a writer. So kudos for for nailing that that moment. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, Robert. We really appreciate your time and appreciate you sharing your story. And uh, we will talk to you later. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Right. Goodbye. All right. So that concludes another wonderful episode of Nobody Read Short Stories. We will see you later. No one reads short stories anymore. I really don't know what they're written for. Go write a short story and throw it out the door. Cause no one reads short stories. Funny, sad, or gory. No one reads short stories.